Welcome to the Changemakers Podcast, brought to you by Graf Martin Communications, where we discuss ministry, marketing, and leadership for good. I'm your host, Ellen Graf Martin, and each episode you get to join me in conversation with some of the most interesting changemakers and groundbreakers from across Canada and beyond. Thank you for tuning in for this episode of the Changemakers Podcast. Today, we're talking tech with our special guest, James Kelly. James is the founder and CEO of Faith Tech, a global community of tech enthusiasts existing to bridge the gap between faith and technology. And you know we're living in Waterloo Region when we have this conversation. With locations in five cities, Faith Tech is pioneering new ways to share the good news about Jesus in an era driven by technology. In this episode, we talk about what he said at our Changemakers Conference that could have offended every single ministry leader in the room. We talk about how we can use artificial intelligence and why we're afraid of it. We talk about generational dynamics and mentorship and the benefits of taking a digital Sabbath, especially for this next generation. This is a really necessary conversation about our digital landscape today and how we fit in in marketing and ministry. I'm so glad you get to listen in. Let's begin. Welcome to the podcast, James. Um, that felt really cheesy. Welcome <laughs> to the podcast, James. <laughs> but there we are. We are starting there, I guess. Um, I just want to say thank you for joining us. I think what people are often shocked at, and you can add perspective to this, is that so our office is here in Elmira, and we have horse and buggies going down the road, and it's approximately 20 minutes to get to Google, like to actually get to Google and close to where you would work out of um, at Communitech. And so this is a really weird dichotomy that we have here. And I think we're going to talk actually quite a bit about that today because you're kind of living in that space too, like in between this church and high tech and all of that. Tell us about what you're doing and how that, how this connects. Well, I'll just say, yeah, my drive here, my morning was interesting because I'm, I'm, we work with uh, about 200 to 250 tech startups are all surrounding us. So I'm working there. We're all like running around. It's chaos. And then I drive up here. I'm like, there's a horse and buggy. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a beautiful reminder. And like you said, I hopefully we can talk more about this. Is like the beautiful reminder uh, to slow down. The beautiful mind to not hurry. So in the midst of like, I get really passionate about I think God's view of technology is both one of idolatry and opportunity. And I think we mm-hmm. bo- we vastly mm-hmm. misunderstand both. <laughs> we underappreciate both enormously. And so from an idolatry side, it's like, yeah, technology can change us. It's physically changing us. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we're not we're not paying enough attention to how it's changing us and, and putting in the proper boundaries and understanding our identity in light of that. And then on the opportunity side, it's like, oh, we got some really amazing opportunities right now to leverage technology, to advance the kingdom of God, to support local churches, to serve and support the most marginalized in our cities. And and yet, um, I think we're, we're reeling behind on what those opportunities could be for us. And so, I'm like, let's try to understand both these worlds and then lean into it. Mm-hmm. So, you can be old school and... And yeah, still high tech. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, so you you are okay, your executive director or CEO of Faith Tech. Which sure. one? Which one do you prefer? Sure. Does it matter to you? Sure. Yeah. Because this matter. is a new. This is and do you? Here's a question I actually have been thinking. Do you call Faith Tech a ministry or what is it called? Uh, 
That's also interesting. I don't know. I think we call it we call it an organization, a company, a ministry. It we're less interested, I guess, in in the title of that. This is a new world. And yeah. so I actually was thinking that is actually a really important thing to think about. Like, do you call it a ministry? What is faith tech? Like, what does faith tech do? Yeah, essentially we're a global tech community for Christ. And so we gather people in the tech world um, that think about technology, build technology, create technology, and we get them gathering in cities to meet up regularly. So they think together and we'll do talks, but then oftentimes the people will break into groups and start solving problems Mm. using technology to do that. And so we have a structure on how that looks within a city um, and 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 then that that community, it's a volunteer-led community that kind of blossoms. They start working on more projects, collaborate with each other, um, and then we do that in multiple cities. So we have communities meeting in, in three cities in Canada, in Chicago, Silicon Valley, um, about to announce Phoenix and uh, Bangkok, Thailand. And by the grace of God, in the last year and a half, we've had about eighty people. Um, that represent about 60 cities and 25 countries that have reached out asking mm. if they can start a faith tech community. And it's mm. it's coming out of, um, it's really coming out of two things. One is those that are in tech, that love Jesus, they haven't known their place. Mm. Meaning like I had one guy say to me, he goes, uh, this is a tech guy. He goes, I go to church and no one understands my work, mm-hmm. right? It's like, okay, you speak a different language. And then he's like, I go to work and no one understands my faith. And the second thing with those in tech is it's, it's, it's a very uh, isolated and alone. Like a lot of people are really alone uh, in the tech world. Why are they alone? Well, they just, uh, well, one, technology can often breed isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, a lot of youth pastors lately have been just telling me how much anxiety exists amongst their youth. And this is like mm. the growing issue that I'm seeing amongst the next generation is anxiety, fear of being with people. Um, and then if you're not with people, you're not going to be able to deal with the messiness of life that you've really got to to deal with. And so there's a, there's a whole issue around that. And I think technology can can breed more isolation mm. if, if used improperly. Mm-hmm. And so this whole tech world, feeling underutilized, feeling alone. And then on the flip side, we started learning... This is about three, four years ago when, when Faith Tech got started. There's a lot of people running charities, ministries, churches, and they're kind of like, um, how do we do technology? Like, what mm-hmm. do we do with they this? They don't actually know that technology exists. Most of the time, like, they're like, oh, we could do that. <laughs> to be right. really honest, right. I'm the same way. I'm not picking on them. Like, this is me too. Yeah, and so the, the, the interesting part about that is, if think of it from a local church standpoint, I actually don't think that's that bad because... I think uh, we should be slow in, in, in adopting new technologies in some regard, and I'll explain that a bit more, but it, we, we need to be cautious to what we introduce. Like I love, we're in Mennonite town right now. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of like Amish communities, Mennonite communities, they'll make collective decisions. Mm-hmm. So it's like, should we allow this new thing into our community? Mm-hmm. Whereas now we just buy the next thing mm-hmm. and we're not thinking through how it's changing us. And so, um, to, to be fair to a lot of ministry leaders, they're, they, they've been cautiously adopting new things. Um, unfortunately, they've gone, they've swung, in my opinion, and they've said, okay, because we don't know this, we're just mm-hmm. going to run from it. Yeah. And that's not right. 
you need to equally think deeply on it while you pursue learning it mm-hmm. and while you pursue trying things. And so uh, we essentially got to this point where we said, oh, you have this community over here, the tech folks that are, that are struggling with community isolation and underutilized in, in, in terms of their crazy, amazing skills. And then you have a lot of ministry folks who are, are wrestling with how do we innovate? How do we solve problems in this digital world? And so Fate Tech essentially says, let's just bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. And instead of trying to build a whole bunch of solutions to all mm-hmm. those problems, the uh, solution is in getting those people in rooms together to solve their problems together. And you explained to me, this actually helped me. So I'm my brain still is a little bit afraid. Like when people talk about using artificial intelligence, right. Um, in ministry, <laughs> like I know that we have to, yeah. and it sounds terrifying. Like it sounds like some sort of weird robot <laughs> from a 1980s right. movie. Like if that's what it feels like, yeah. but it's everywhere, right? Like this is what we're doing and it helps us serve people. Well, and- AI, let's use that as a case study. So AI is essentially when I'm on Amazon and there's like three new book recommendations at the bottom the AI system, which is just like a computer that's taking all of the information and making decisions, are saying, based off of your history, based off of the history of those books, based off of all of these factors, we probably think you'll buy this book. Mm-hmm. And the likely you see it and you're like, okay, I probably need that yeah. book, right? <laughs> that I did don't actually need. That's artificial um, intelligence. And our, so that's yeah. a system, a, a computer yeah. system. that which is sounds taking, way less scary. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and but to me, the reason we need to like jump in again, AI is a good case study because it is affecting so many areas of our life, um, like Siri and all these things. Um, those are all based off of artificial mm-hmm. intelligence systems. Is it is inevitably going to accelerate? And so the question as a believer is: Do we engage or we disengage? Mm-hmm. And that's like. Of every cultural artifact, we must ask, do I receive this, reject this, or redeem this, right? And so, you know, do I reject it saying this has no place, this isn't, uh, you know, helping us run with Jesus, this is not biblical, I reject it. Um, Do I receive it, this is a good thing, Um, or do I redeem it? So Halloween is a great example, Mm -hmm. reject, receive, redeem, you got to make those decisions. AI is inevitably growing. I am an advocate of saying, how do we get more men and women that love Jesus to be in the rooms when decisions mm-hmm. are made on the moral structure of an AI system? Mm-hmm. And to explain that, it's like a computer scientist puts parameters on the decisions an AI makes. Mm-hmm. Well, now this huge conversation is taking place of, well, who creates the moral boundaries Mm -hmm. for these massive systems. And I'm saying, I want the dude that loves Jesus Mm -hmm. and is guided by moral principles based Mm -hmm. off the gospel and scripture to be in that room to say, maybe maybe we heighten that a little Mm -hmm. bit. Maybe we decrease that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and AI is going, like AI is incredible right now. So Bible translation is a phenomenal example. Like we estimated that, um, it was about 15, 20 years ago, the estimate um, was, you know, about in 30 years, let's say roughly, we would have all the languages, trans- the Bible in every language. Now we're looking at like 15 years, mm. like because of t- 
technology, mm-hmm. we're now able to get Bibles mm-hmm. in native languages around the world at an enormously quicker pace. That's incredible. Right? Yeah. And then one more example, and then I'll stop talking about AI, but how, like we're about to do an AI summit in Bangkok. Okay. So you're really thinking of this. 120 AI experts from around the world to answer the question, how do we use AI to advance the gospel? First gathering of its kind. It's like, we have to do do When is that? It's in March in Bangkok. Okay, March 2020, Bangkok. Okay, we will try to link to that in the show notes so that people can follow along. Yeah. Um, Another example is like there's there's ministries in in, in places like the Middle East that are getting, getting the news of Jesus out to people of different faiths and... They're having so much interest, say on a Facebook page, you get tons of messages, tons of comments, and they can't actually properly respond. Mm. What they have though is they've got 15 pieces of paper of Q&A answers, so answers Mm -hmm. to common questions. So what an AI system could do is take all of that Q&A, put it into a system, take the whole Bible and a thousand commentaries, Mm -hmm. put it into a system, and then when that person types in, I'm really like, who is Jesus? This system, this artificial intelligence mm-hmm. system can say, oh, here's a great answer. Here's a Bible verse that we would recommend. Mm-hmm. And then what it can do is it can filter down these questions that people have to a point where you go, you really need to talk to a human now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that human steps in, can look at the whole history of the conversation and say, hey, would you like to receive Christ? Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Now, the word technical is bot. And what I just described was an artificial intelligence bot for evangelism. If I led with that, you would think I'm crazy. Yeah. But but perhaps by the other way I described it, you might be like, oh, that seems like it makes sense. It It does to me. Yeah. And so that's the kind of stuff that we're exploring right now that has potential to take all of this interest, for example, in who Jesus is and accelerate the impact we can have using technology. Well, and you know, I heard a really good example um, from a local church level of using, what if we said, use AI on your church website, people would be like, ah! right. but what if you used a tool on your church website to track who was downloading all of the marriage mm. um, sermons that you had done over the last 20 years and prompt one of the elders or a church leader to say, perhaps you should check in with Ellen because she has been watching every marriage sermon that we have. Perhaps she's having trouble in this area. It would be a good thing to check in with her. Or, you know, we had Joy Byers tape one of these Changemaker podcasts, and she was talking about just having um, a database for the people in your church to be able to track, have they been coming? Have they dropped off the face of the earth? Can you follow up with them? Because... At the moment, Google probably knows a lot more about me than my church does. And I don't say probably. Google knows. 100% I mean, does. Because I have a Google Home and a Google Mini and a Google Mini and there's one in here. They know a lot more about me than my church does. And that is not the way it should be. Well, in many cases, they know more about you than your spouse does. Ah. <laughs> so the huge trend right now is like, I like to ask the question, is Google the new God? Meaning, mm. okay, what? Uh, in all of history, where did we take our questions and our secrets? So if you think about it, it's like there's really only one of two ways before internet was mm-hmm. um, I told no one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, the, the thought that I would uh, want to kill myself. 
that is so dark that I'm going to tell nobody that. Mm-hmm. Or you take to someone you really trust that contextually knows your sin, that contextually knows your struggles, and you're going to bring it to them because you deeply trust them. And then they can give you a customized response mm-hmm. <laughs> or mm-hmm. listen uh, mm-hmm. which sometimes you just needed 20 seconds of silence after you said mm-hmm. something deep uh, versus uh, an instant response. But now with the internet, you have a third option, which is which is Google, mm-hmm. just search. And what's happening, and we're, we're seeing this, and Google has the evidence of this, is there's an unbelievable increase amount how deep of mm-hmm. questions, like dark, dark, dark secrets mm-hmm. are going digital. You know, and I shared this story, uh, yeah. you know, the suicide story, uh, prevention story of 8,000 people a month go online, search how to kill yourself, right? And this is, the results were seven easy, painless ways to do all this. Mm-hmm. And we had a team buy the domain, howtokillyourself.org, built a site that said you're not alone instead. And honestly, anywhere I tell that story, if I tell that story um, at, at an event, for example, at least half the time someone comes up to me in tears before they even say anything to me. And they'll be like, I went on that website Mm. two months ago, three months ago, because I was ready to kill myself. I want to know how. Mm. And that changed my life. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's a website. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're seeing this, like that's where we're going with our our deep secrets, our deep questions. And so for me, as uh, someone that believes that we can leverage technology, I go, do I just fight against that? reject Mm -hmm. it or do i realize that's not going to change moving forward in fact we're going to continue to go take our deep secrets digital because it's an anomalous place we don't we think it's we think and oftentimes it's Mm -hmm. completely safe as well and so i look at that and i go no let's let's engage like that's a lot of the front lines Mm -hmm. in many respects in, in my mind around those that are really suffering. And I've even had pastors be like, yeah, someone came to me looking for help because you know they're struggling with depression. And they quoted off three articles that they read about depression or doctors are like, you know, that's classic, mm-hmm. right? Doctors are like, everyone knows their own problem. Like the answers to all our issues because yeah. we looked online. Yeah. Well, that's our, that's the instinct now. WebMD. Right, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> That's right. When you can diagnose yourself and give yourself that much more anxiety. So even like pastors, I say to pastors, like if you have a sermon, you're putting it online. There's there's really good programs out there that you just put your sermon in. It gets all the notes written out for you. And then you can break that up based off of topics. Hmm. And so, because um, people search, people mm-hmm. are like, I... Um, I'm struggling with intimacy in my marriage. And they type that in. And it's like, well, if you just spent five minutes unpacking why Jesus Christ wants you to have intimacy in your marriage and what that looks like, mm-hmm. like that can be a beautiful answer for somebody. Mm-hmm. And so just trying to think through, again, how does culture ask questions? How how are we how are we looking for solutions to our problems? Mm-hmm. And then let's engage with the good truth of the gospel mm-hmm. in those those mm-hmm. ways. Yeah. So so what I guess here this is a big question and I didn't prep you for this but so what do I do because our organizations churches nonprofits we work primarily with nonprofits 
Um, and I'm a for-profit, but I'm for good. And like our banker said, you're the most not-for-profit for profit that I know. And it's because we're not focused on the profit. We're focused on, okay, what does this do for the kingdom? And we're just doing it in this format because there's less rules. (laughs) To be honest, there's yeah, it's a lot easier to be an entrepreneur than to be a ministry and have all the CRA rules around nonprofit. Right. But like, how do I, as this for-profit company, um, come alongside our our clients that are not for profits in the Christian realm, mm-hmm. their ministries, um, and help them engage technology in new ways? Like, what are some really simple things that you wish ministries would do? Hmm. Well, to throw it back a little bit, what are they saying are their biggest problems? They are saying, well, I mean, we've talked a little bit about this. Okay, number one, they say, um, how do we get younger people to donate? So they think that tech is about getting younger people to donate often. It's kind of like this must be the magic bullet. Number two, how do we get more younger people to donate? <laughs> and, you know, I think, I think honestly, around a lot of it is saying our donors are changing. We don't understand them. We know it looks different. We know we need to look different. Um, we don't have talent to do this. I mean, so it's around talent. It's around donors and changing donor behavior and just understanding both. So, I mean, that ultimately is what it comes down to. And we do a lot of, we have a lot of conversations around that, mm. to be honest. Interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't have the solutions to all that. The only thing that pops in my head is, so I'm 33, so I'm part of the millennial group. Um, I would say myself and people I know is we want to be part of something that um, is is one understanding of context, the culture, but is willing to do things that no one else is doing. Mm. Like really pushing along innovation and trying things that, you know, it's like, I often will say, it's like, do you have a culture where you praise failure? Mm. Right? And it's mm-hmm. like, that sounds terrible. Like, that, that that makes no sense, especially for charities who are like, well, if we fail, we don't get money next year. Mm-hmm. So, like, we only are going to do projects that we know can succeed because we have to report to our foundations and our donors that we succeeded so we get more money. Mm-hmm. So, part of this issue is actually with foundations and donors that... I get passionate about trying to educate them of like, give money and tell the organization, I expect that you tried something with this and that you had a system in place to learn from your failure. And then if this failed, it's actually worth the money still. And so. And you you talked about this, small bets and large bets, right? Right, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Small bets, large bets. And so in the charity world, we, we, man, we love large bets. It's like, I've got this platform. I've got an app. Mm-hmm. I, I want to make an app. Mm-hmm. Can you make I hear it, that a lot. I'm like, app? no, no. It's like, do we need <laughs> another app? But it's like an app. That's the young kids like apps. That's mm-hmm. the solution mm-hmm. to reach the next generation. And, and then what they'll do though, is they'll think that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. They'll ask uh, their daughter or their niece, mm-hmm. would you like an app? And they say, maybe. And they go, that's all I needed to hear. Mm-hmm. They go out and raise $150,000. I've actually heard this. To like build real, an app. Yeah. This might be a story I'm telling, but I just won't say that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They go $150,000 and they're like, my niece Sally wants this app. 
There's others like her. I need to build. So 150K, mm-hmm. they build the app, spend all this time building the app, and nobody wants it, especially their niece, Sally. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly they're like $150,000. We, we just lost. Um, that's a whereas, big bet. That's a For big, a nonprofit. That's yeah. a big bet. And the small bet versus large bet concept is really just like test little things quickly. And, mm-hmm. and build. So what we do, Fate Tech, we love building prototypes to things. Mm-hmm. And then we go to customers with the idea, with like a, a slideshow of an app. If you still really need to make an app, it's like build a slideshow of how that app would work. Or y- you could even use, uh, mm-hmm. uh, create a prototype to use and then test it with a whole bunch of people before you start building the next thing. And so, you know, I think there's a huge opportunity charities have to, to shift that mindset um, and then to bring that around, I would say if that was a culture that you had, or like I recently told World Vision, I was like, you should give everybody 20% of their time to to build whatever they want. That mm-hmm. helps World mm-hmm. Vision. Um, because that, if I'm in that environment and you told me I'm going to pay you and 20% of your time, maybe start with 15 or 10 is do whatever you want that could help us grow. It might not even be on your, it's not on your job descriptions, whatever you think is going to help us. Like that's exciting. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. That's an innovative culture, Mm -hmm. small bets, 20% time, things that are are risky taking um, outside the box. It's like, that's a culture I want to be a part of. That's a culture I want to give to, because that's probably the culture of the type of organizations that's going to survive the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe that's one that, that actually is an answer about succession and about donor habits changing mm-hmm. is create changing a culture. And you know, the funny thing mm-hmm. is that this this might not seem revolutionary, but this podcast is a small bet. Mm-hmm. Like we're trying it out and we're building yeah. a prototype and not just for us, yeah. but for the clients that we serve. Because it has been um when I started looking to see how many ministries in Canada had a podcast. Yeah. It was a very, very small number. Mm. And um, and I thought, wow, this is one of the most accessible, easy ways for people, for organizations to be communicating mm. and be where people are. Like if you yeah. want to reach the next generation, then be where they are. What are they doing? They're listening to podcasts. And but it's funny, I needed to listen to the right people too. Mm. So I had someone in the office and I was talking to him about podcasts, and he's like good 10 years younger than me. And he said, you need to do a video podcast. So we're recording all of these on video just because he was like, we sit there and watch videos and we, we actually don't watch them. We listen to them, but Mm. we're watching, you need to be doing this. And it hadn't even crossed my mind. Mm. And, uh, and so I'm like, that's a small bet. Mm. Like buying a camera is a small bet right? right. <laughs> and trying it out and maybe this will fail, but right. hopefully not, you know, like this is a good <laughs> interview. Hopefully this, but I'm honestly, it, I think yeah. that's a, an example of a small bet. Hmm. Like, let's try it out. Maybe we've got something that we can be smart about and share. Right. So Yeah, and like, and then with that, set a timeline. So, hey, we're going to do four episodes, um, and then we're not going to do any more, and then we're going to take those four, we're going to take them to all of our customers and say, was this helpful? Did this mm-hmm. help you? Um, and then it's like, yeah, that helped. Okay, now we're going to do some more, mm-hmm. and maybe we'll increase the budget a little bit because we can see the value in it. You know, those that would be an example of yeah, just do small things and grow off of it. Mm-hmm. 
It's good. So, I just reiterated everything. <laughs> that was useless. It was that, like, you what? know what? That's good. We sometimes need reminders, especially those people who are listening to this at like 1.5 times, right? So yes, we'll just right, repeat yeah, it. Definitely on two times right <laughs> so now. Two times. Yeah. I can only do like the 1.3. Yeah. <laughs> My brain starts to spin a little. So you kind of alluded to this a second ago. And so I want to talk about this. You said the most controversial thing at the Ministry Leadership Summit that we hosted, the Changemaker Summit, and that we hosted along with EagleCom in August of 2019. You Uh-oh. started our conference. You started the day by telling the people sitting there um, who were all ministry leaders, nonprofit, media, you said, some of you need to die. Which I sat there and went, well, let's Oops. see where this goes. <laughs> I own it. I cuff. invited. I yeah. invited him. Right. Um, but tell me what you tell me why why would you say that? And and you just kind of alluded to it when you talked about ten years. So mm-hmm. I'm going to let you expand on that mm-hmm. for all those people who were baffled after that. Yeah. Well, um, there. Uh, so as a as a young leader that's leading a, a ministry organization, whatever we're going to call it. Does that feel weird to call it a ministry? Uh, no, no, it feels okay. It's okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Um, certainly, we one of the things we need as young leaders is older leaders that have wisdom that can um, be willing to risk things on helping us. Mm. And um, some of that is like customized wisdom. So this is where the young generation fail mm-hmm. and they aren't looking to the older generation. They're just going, Google will answer this for me. Mm-hmm. And then we get arrogant and we go, well, we can just solve it ourselves. Mm-hmm. But then what happens is we don't get the customized, mm-hmm. tailored wisdom we need from the older generation. So that's on us. Mm-hmm. The older generation though, I'm seeing a trend where they're just, they're just piecing out. They're like, this young generation are too arrogant. Uh-huh. They think they have all the answers. They don't need us anymore. So then they distance themselves, retire, play golf, and waste the rest of their life. Uh-huh. When that's going to be your legacy. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, do you want that as your legacy? I don't want that as my legacy. I retired, gave up on the next generation, and had a good time. That's a that's a terrible narrative. What? So both teams really have some issues here, really have some issues. What I would love to see is I know a number of very good young leaders trying new things in multiple countries around the world and they aren't getting the resources. Mm. They're not getting the land, the buildings, the mentorship that they need. And what's happening is the older generation, they, they kind of say, okay, we're going to, in 10 years, um, that's when we're going to transition to young leaders. And then the 10 years come and they're like 55 year old leader 60-year-old leader, and they said 10 years ago they were going to transition. They get there and they go, the young generation aren't ready. Mm-hmm. They're 35. They're not ready. And it's like, well, you started when you were 25. Mm-hmm. You weren't ready either. Mm-hmm. And so because of they hold on to it, mm-hmm. they don't open and free themselves up from time. They don't free themselves up with resources. They don't freeze themselves up for the, the land or the buildings or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so then the younger leaders continue to suffer and struggle. And they tap out. And then they they get there and then they're they're now doing side hustles and they're Mm -hmm. doing too much trying to push this excitement forward that they have Mm -hmm. to change the world. And so, yeah, yeah, and then they start burning out. So Mm -hmm. when I say older generation, older organizations need to die, 
I'm saying you need to stop doing what you're doing. You need to either close shop, take all those resources and pour it into the next generation. You need to stop so that your time is freed up so you can mentor the next generation. Mm -hmm. And you need to realize the legacy you want to leave isn't actually just your story. Mm. Your legacy is like, I I sowed my seed into that person. Uh-huh. And then that person's story is part of your legacy. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Right? So when I say die, it's like, I just see too many organizations uh-huh. hanging on, trying to like change their culture when it's like, you're so uh-huh. far that you will do better as a, as a uh-huh. kingdom, as a collective. Uh-huh. We're going to do better if you close shop. And I think I think that's probably hard to hear too because I am that young leader, and I don't know any like thirty year olds that are thinking about closing shop very often. They're willing to fail and try new things, but so then I think inevitably the sixty year old leader goes, "Well, what does he know?" and and that's a valid uh-huh. that's a valid uh-huh. point. Um, but I can just tell you from my perspective, that's what's going on, uh-huh. and um, it's starting to really uh-huh. bother me. You know, because again, yeah, I know a lot of these young leaders who are like just on the edge of some incredible stuff. And they're just like, where, where's the help? Hmm. And it's like, what are we doing? So, so, and I would say, so I have, I have lots of questions about that, but I guess one of the questions, so I'm 10 years older than you. I think we discussed this last summer. Um, And I'm already starting to think like, what is my succession plan? Mm. And so my succession plan, I've been, I've been doing ministry now when I look at it for 23 years, which is, I don't know how that happened to be really (laughs) honest. I've been doing ministry longer than I wasn't doing ministry. Um, so, okay. I've got 23 years of experience. I'm only in my early forties, but I am thinking that, you know, when I look at our team, I think of Michaela and Nat and Ben, they are my, and Paula, you know, these people are my succession plan. Mm -hmm. The more that they can learn and they can grow here, the better they are because, and that maybe I'm too fatalistic. I don't know. But I'm thinking when I hit 53, I don't know how relevant I'm going to be Mm -hmm. and, and understanding, you know, how do I do this marketing thing for ministries when I'm that, like, honestly, that may be when I have to really step aside and say, you guys know this now. And, and I, I want to be open-handed about that, but it's really hard right. when we feel we've been called for kingdom purposes. So mm-hmm. how do I, because I'm already thinking this, so how could I encourage and equip you? Because you're that mm-hmm. 10 years behind me. And I'm like, listen, you're. I was 32 when I started this agency. I had to figure it all out. I've done this entrepreneur thing, this ministry thing for a lot of years. So mm-hmm. how does someone like me, because we don't know how to do it. Yeah. I don't think it's that people don't necessarily want to. Yeah. They don't know how to. So I would say, okay, you're frustrated. You know, people who are frustrated, tell me how to do this. Like, how do I help you? That's cool. Um, that's a good posture. Maybe the two things that are popping in my head real quick is like um, relentless generosity. So one of the biggest things that an older generation would have that a younger would need would be like, go talk to this person. I know this person. Mm-hmm. I have access mm-hmm. to them. You don't mm-hmm. um, because you're the young, you know, no one trusts you yet. But I, I have that and I'll introduce mm-hmm. you to them. We'll go up for coffee together. Mm-hmm. And they're a really good leader for, I think, what you need mm-hmm. to hear right now. Like that would go a long way. Mm-hmm. Right and it there. starts with listening to you, right? right I need right, to hear what you good. need yeah, yeah, before yeah. I know who to introduce you to. Yeah. So I've actually got to spend time with you. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Which is challenging. Yeah. Because then it's like, 
yeah, you're going to have the young leaders who, again, you're going to have to like pursue. It's like, if you want to do anything of value, you've got to pursue it. So mm-hmm. it goes the same with, you know, serving and sowing the seed in the next generation. Cause uh, you know, yeah, they're going to think their time is all, all that. And mm-hmm. so you got to like lean into that. So yeah, probably simple things like simple things like you're already saying. Um, yeah. And then I would say promote them. So actually uh, someone who you have on the podcast, who's a mentor, close mentor of mine and friend, Tim Day, mm-hmm. who leads city movement involved in Waybase, um, Phenomenal man. There's very rarely you get both humble, uh, really, really intelligent um, in the same, yeah. in the same thing. Yep. Right. And Tim's one of those guys and he does little things all the time. Like he'll, he'll be speaking at a big event and he'll wear a faith tech shirt. You know, and that sounds super simple. That's like, that might mean nothing. But when I get that text, I'm like, you, you are there talking Mm -hmm. about city movement, talking about wave, it's some of the other Mm -hmm. things, but you're actually telling everybody I'm behind this guy Mm -hmm. and I'm behind this movement Mm -hmm. and, um, like just a relentless pursuit of promoting, Mm -hmm. um, somebody else. Like having you on the podcast. Right. Right. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good start. Right. That's a good that's start. A good okay. Start. Yeah. I'm starting okay. This is, these are just, yeah, honestly, yeah. they're the things we need to know. Yeah. Or like, what about, I'm just even thinking a lot of organizations have magazines that they send out to their um, constituency. What right. if instead of just putting content that is donor content in, what if having an article about like faith tech and yeah. why this matters or a, a related article? Or like here's the one I just, I just thought of. What if you had a young leader and you're like, oh, they love to learn. They love to, to, to read, to buy books. And every month you, you sent them $100 to redeem for Amazon. Mm. And you just said, mm-hmm. buy whatever you want every month. Any books you want, I'll, I'll cover them. 100 mm-hmm. bucks, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Just something like that that just tells them, mm-hmm. you learn, I want you to learn more. Or, mm-hmm. hey, if you want, I'll send you to this conference, all expenses paid. Mm-hmm. I had someone do that about 10 years ago. They came up to me after an event and they said, is there any training or any event you would love to go to that you think it would be phenomenal for you? And I said this one conference and I was like, yeah, there's no way I can afford that. He goes, done. He's like, paid for me to go, covered all expenses. I didn't have to worry about it. Helped me do travel, everything like that. I got to learn so much. Mm-hmm. And this person in a simple way for them was able to sow a huge seed for me. Mm-hmm. And so it's like simple things like that, mm-hmm. that I think can go a really long way. Mm-hmm. And I think from my point for, um, for a leader like you to be able to say, listen, this is the area that I don't have it all together in. Right. Yeah, <laughs> like, cause, yeah. cause what I also see is that you, when you're talking about these older leaders think that younger leaders are arrogant. Yeah. And like, honestly, there's part of that vulnerability that says, yeah. listen, I don't know what, like for some reason I can't get my bookkeeping yeah. sorted out and I'm so afraid of being audited. How do you do this? Yeah, <laughs> like just totally. asking those questions and being vulnerable yeah. is actually a thing where we're like, "Hey, I can totally help you. Here's my accountant. Here's yeah. this person. Here's what I learned. I totally messed up in this area, <laughs> and you know, here are some things to do." I just, th- I think that there's a mutual generosity and vulnerability. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And so, how do we just, how do we cultivate that? Is actually one yeah. of the questions. Part of, I guess, we can use tech for good too in actually like following each other on technology. Like I might have to learn a new platform to be able to follow you or something. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) 
I yeah. don't want to get involved in TikTok. <laughs> I can't handle it. But, but you know, it's one of those things just saying, okay, you know what? I'm going to be where they are and yeah. be listening, yeah. listening for those vulnerability points yeah, too. Yeah. So what would you say for a younger leader as well? Younger than you, because now you're like 33. Are you still yeah. legit as a young leader? Because yeah. you're like an old married guy with kids yeah, right, and, yeah. and like a, an established organization. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I, in this context, I use this, the young leader phrase for myself, but I'm around 250 startups. I'm like the old guy. <laughs> yeah. 33. I'm like the old guy in the room. Interesting enough, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, contextually, it's, it's quite different. Um, so what would you say to like the 24-year-old? Mm, yeah. Well, it's, uh, yeah, the 24-year-old, I would say find someone 10 years older, find someone that's a little ahead of you, um, even, even more than that, that is humble and um, that you've seen try things and ask them. Mm-hmm. Be, just literally say, look, I need help. I need tailored wisdom mm-hmm. from you. In order to get that from you, I, I will be open with you if you'd be willing to listen. And can you give me that tailored wisdom that I need um, right now? And so that's that's something. And then the second thing I'd say if I was in a room with a 24-year-old that wanted to be a leader or try things is try things. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. like go off and, and try things. It's going to be hard, but like, yeah, we need a lot of innovation right now. And I, and I think... Um, you know, that young leader, it's like you, the older leaders I just talked about, a lot of them started these things when they're mm-hmm. in like their 20s or mm-hmm. early 30s and stuff like that. And so, um, yeah, just because uh, it's it, it can be very difficult and you might not have the support that you need right mm-hmm. now, it's like still try something. Because even if you fail mm-hmm. through it, be relentless in figuring out what you learned through failure. And then, you know, it's an interesting stat as a quick side note. The average successful tech startup founder is actually 38. Really? Yeah. So you you think it's 20. Yeah. Because you hear about Facebook and Apple and Amazon and, and they all start in their early 20s typically. But most of the successful tech entrepreneurs um, failed in their first venture. So they get in five years, mm-hmm. they get in six years or two years, and it just goes into to shambles. They start thinking about a new idea. They build it over time and then it succeeds because they learned mm-hmm. from the failure. And so you know, you've got to be that, you got to try it in order to get to that point oftentimes too, right? So learning from your failures. So if you're talking to a young leader, say learn from your failure, try, <laughs> try number one yeah, and learn yeah. from your failure and start looking to listen to people yeah. older than you. Yeah, totally. And I would even say, be okay with your vulnerability. Mm, like it's right. okay. Yeah. Like keep trying, but it'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> to not right. know everything. Yeah. It, it really is okay. I didn't realize how young I was when I was 32 and starting this. I had no idea. And I don't know. So this is, I would actually like to ask you this um, because one of the things I didn't realize I needed, but now I really realized that I had and that I really needed were um, parents. Mm. And I say that in parentheses um, because I think we forget that the family of faith is a family. Mm. Right. And I actually needed like moms and dads who would say, and I had one guy who was just phenomenal who bought me a printer when I started my business. I was like, I'll buy you a printer and I'll buy you a cell phone and mm. I'll pay $50 a month toward your cell phone. And that was oh. like a dad thing to do. And I remember some people saying, well, that's kind of like, and I'm like, no, I needed that. Like it was someone saying, 
you're worth investing in. Yeah. And uh, and I even had a conversation with one of my peers recently, and I said, we still need our moms. Like at mm. this stage, I still need someone to say, this is where I dropped the ball. This is how I did it. You're going to be okay. Yeah. You're still good. Because yeah. it's okay to tell people, don't be afraid to fail. Yeah. But if there's no one there to help pick them up, right? like part of failing is having someone to come alongside and say, I will help you sweep up this mess. Yeah. So you can try again. Yeah, and you need you need multiple voices. So for me right now, I I have uh, I seek out advisors in in specific areas. So in leading faith tech, we have uh, multiple streams of uh, capacity building we have to build up from infrastructure to operations to HR to all sorts of legal and accounting. And so I seek out specific advisors that know that sphere. And so that's the one I'm coming to them. That's also a young leader tip is like, go to an older leader with something specific. Don't just be like, can you just sit down for coffee with me? Mm-hmm. Right. Or don't like, say pick your brain. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do not say that. You could say it, but it'd yeah. be like, because you're an expert in finance and accounting and this is my specific issue. Can we walk through this document together? Like awesome. that would be an example, but then so have specifics and then also have that person. That's more of that like father or mother figure that you know is like an encourager or um, is just willing to listen through some of the struggles that you're having. Um, it's like build your board mm-hmm. Of, mm-hmm. of advisors and in, in not even, I'm not saying specifically on a legal standpoint, mm-hmm. I'm talking like on a personal, mm-hmm. personal board kind of thing. Um, that's been super helpful for me when I'm like, oh, I just, I don't know anything about legal. Mm-hmm. So I need some help. And it's like, oh, this person was willing to to walk through that with me. That was good. And of, then the oh, last sorry. thing I'll say about young yeah. leaders is take a digital Sabbath. <laughs> yes. Talk about yeah. that. How do you do that? Okay. So you're a high tech guy right. who turns off the internet. Yeah. So how so does in that our work? home, we bought a little device. It's called Kids Wi-Fi and there's, there's other products like it, um, but that's a good one. Kids Wi-Fi. Um, and we you essentially connect it to your Wi-Fi, it becomes your new Wi-Fi source. And then we put a password on it that we both share. And what we did was we said at 9.30 every night, the internet automatically shuts off. So I will literally be like working away. And then suddenly I'm like, where'd the internet go? Like, I'm going to die. You know, <laughs> yes. it's like all life has come to an end. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh yeah, I need to go to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, or you're watching something and then you're like, oh yeah, I really... I didn't plan on watching five episodes. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I planned on watching one and then we call that binge watching, yep. which is a huge serious issue. And so, uh, yeah, we just said we're going to put boundaries. Like what, what is the place technology should have in our lives and in our home? So we, uh, we shut it off at 930 every night. Um, we don't allow cell phones in our in bedrooms. So we have two floors and no cell phones are allowed mm-hmm. upstairs because it's, there's just so much medical evidence that proves if you are waking up and going to bed near your cell phone, you actually are in, in a lot of trouble physically. Like even mm. physical, there's physical evidence really? that says, oh yeah. Like a lot of, most young adults sleep now with their cell phone and it's a terrible idea. They sleep with their cell phone. For sure, for sure. See, it's like, not I that feel like an old stretch. lady. I feel like an old lady now because I'm like, I would wreck it. 
<laughs> I know that it You're costs $1,200 <laughs> and I'm still paying Rogers for it. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, but if like there's um, medical business, uh, sorry, medical review, Harvard medical review came out saying that, you know, if you're on your device uh, within a half hour of going to sleep, um, it will 100% throw off your circadian rhythms. And we have, mm. uh, there's evidence. And then they connected that with the evidence that shows if your circadian rhythms are thrown off, um, you know, you increase your likelihood of all sorts of different problems. Um, and so there's enough evidence to me out there that just shows, you know, being on screens, being close to our devices from a physical standpoint is, is unwise. But then mm-hmm. it's also, it's just like the emotional standpoint like I, I started doing a digital Sabbath when I realized I started waking up and checking my cell phone before kissing my wife good morning, uh, right? Or or, uh-huh. or spending time with my kids. And I'm like, what on earth could be more important? Uh-huh. And typically it was like a text some dude at two in the morning wrote, okay, right? Uh-huh. So I'm literally the first thought in my head is like, okay, yeah. or whatever, you know, it's like that is not the way you should start your day. Or 24 emails trying to sell you stuff. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so, like, actually, that's a huge <laughs> form of addiction right now, too, is obviously there's social, but even email, that's an issue. Mm-hmm. So, interesting enough, hopefully, when this podcast goes live, I'm writing an article uh, that's going to say why I, now I really have to write it, why I only check my email one hour a day. Mm. And I'm going to set it up. So, if you email me, it's going to be an automatic remind, uh, automatic response, and it'll say, um, "Thanks for the email. I only check my email between three and four every day. Um, I will try to get back to you. And here's why I do that. And mm-hmm. I'm going to unpack why I think that's mm-hmm. important because even emails is an addiction, big mm-hmm. time. When it's like I don't even respond, I just flip through them. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, why? nothing's that important. See, and now there will be people who are in their 60s who are listening to this and who just got sweaty because they're like, that is the problem with this generation, finger wagging, right? They're like, they don't respond to emails. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) So so like, how do you, How I guess that's one of the things, like how do we work together Mm. knowing that we are cultivating different habits too? I mean, Mm. this is one of those habits to cultivate, but even like (laughs) when... Like I grew up when you had to phone people and I still really like talking to people because it builds relationship when you can say, listen, how's your dog? I remember that it was sick and and they say it died and I'm devastated, you know, sort of like we can build relationship when I can hear someone's voice. So how do we, but this is, but then I call people and they're like, you're crazy because we just text. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like every time I call someone, I have to say like a psycho, I'm calling you, but I want to hear your voice. So like, is that what I just do? Just say, just, I'm just going to try calling or how do we bridge this gap? Say that. I don't know. Yeah. Like just keep pushing the the boundaries (laughs) there, but yeah, it's a huge, it's a struggle for everybody. Like I think even a lot there's a misconception that the older generation aren't uh, struggling with technology addiction. Um, the largest group of gamers is stay-at-home moms. Really? Yeah, yeah. If you if you include not just like action games, but if you include like your cell phone, yeah. whatever games, um, Angry Birds, right? Angry Birds, whatever that is. <laughs> that's I really so like stay Angry at home Birds. Moms is actually one of the largest categories of really? gamers in the world. Yeah. Uh, also online shopping, which I think mm-hmm. is an unexpected, but, and so, yeah, Great there's way a mis- to check out. It's a good it, checkout. It yeah, really is. it is. Yeah. And I think that actually ties into scripture for me. So 
Um, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is Hebrews uh, 12, one to two. So it says, uh, since we've been surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, and that's in the context of Hebrews 11, which describes all these incredible people of faith. It says, since we're surrounded by these great people of faith, who, by the way, a lot of them like murdered people um, and, and have really messy lives. In the context of that, it says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us looking to Jesus, the author mm. and perfecter of our faith. Christians typically go, is it sin or not sin? Mm-hmm. And that's my that's my line. That's what mm-hmm. I'm going to allow in or not. So they look at an action movie on Netflix and they go, oh, that I just want to relax. So I'm going to watch a suspense movie mm-hmm. that's highly action oriented. And that's probably the best way I'm going to rest. And then they watch five episodes and, mm-hmm. and it's really damaging. But the issue was the framework for that was, is it sin or not sin? And that's probably one of the worst questions you can ask. Mm-hmm. The better question to really ask is like, does that thing that I'm engaging in help me run with Jesus? Mm. And that phrasing, when I started saying that for myself personally, it was a game changer. Because now suddenly in those moments when I really need rest, right? Or I just need peace or I need quietness or I need to listen to God or I need to pray. And I'm sitting in a coffee shop and I don't want to feel awkward because People are looking and want, I want to feel important. And I pull out my phone, mm-hmm. just waste time. Or when was the last time you're in a line and you didn't pull out your phone? Because why is that? It's mm-hmm. not because you're important. You think you want to be seen as important. Mm. And you don't want to feel like, um, you know, I, I, I'm not, I don't have friends or something like that. Mm-hmm. When really you're missing out on the beauty of what's around you and, mm-hmm. and the, the peace and presence that I think God's probably trying to teach you. And so Mm. the framework for me of what we've got to get to is like, does it help me run with Jesus? Does it make me more like Mm -hmm. Jesus? So the bar is way higher in that statement. And I think, I think I, when I first started thinking that way, I was like, what's the cost? Like, is that worth it? Are you telling me I have to give up my Netflix? Are you telling me I can't be on Facebook anymore? And my answer is, does it help you run with Jesus? And if the answer Mm -hmm. is no, then get rid of it. Mm-hmm. cut it off. Like it's a waste. It's a waste mm-hmm. if it's not help. And I think sometimes you can say that movie or spending 15 minutes on Facebook was intentional and it was restful. And if you can genuinely mm-hmm. answer that, then do that thing because mm-hmm. that rest will help you live a life with Christ, abiding in Christ. But mm-hmm. if if you can't, then that's the life that we live following Christ, abiding in Christ is like, turn it off, shut it off, to put, it, put in strict boundaries um, those things are actually, it's like Tim Keller said, some of the commandments in the scripture are actually freedom mm. because the creator created us to live life a particular way. Mm-hmm. And the scriptures give us boundaries on how to live that life because he's the designer. So he knows you need a Sabbath. You mm-hmm. need to rest because I built you that way, Right. Mm-hmm. And so then when we don't, then we aren't enjoying freedom that comes with life. Mm-hmm. We aren't experiencing the joy that is intended for us. And so often the, the rules and legalism of, of the Bible that we feel are restrictive are actually freedom in many respects. And so there's, a, there's just a passion I think I, I, I 
feel is that, you know, it's like put in more of those, those boundaries in the context of understanding who you are and what scripture says mm-hmm. about why you should put in those, those boundaries. And it's amazing yeah. what you can get done when you forget your phone somewhere. <laughs> or like when I forget right. my phone upstairs and then I'm just working around the house, it is amazing what I can get right. done. I'll be like five hours have gone by and I forgot to take my phone right. out, but I got like 85 things done. Right. And I think, cause you're not saying, I think one of the things we have to remember is you're not saying tech is bad. What you are saying is be intentional about how we use tech mm-hmm. for kingdom good. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Is that what, am put, I hearing you right? Put it, put tech in its proper place. And then leverage it just like God did throughout all of scripture. So there's many times all throughout scripture where God took the latest technology to advance his mission. You have it. uh, I could go through many stories. You got like tablet, the invention of the tablet started with Moses and Exodus, right? It's like he used a brand new, the phonetic language was, uh, was the phonetic alphabet came from the Semitic languages at that time, Hebrew, Aramaic, all around that time, right around the same time the tablet mm. was used by God. He's like, these are so important. Mm. I'm going to use this new method of communication so you remember exactly what I said. And like, there's there's lots of beautiful stories throughout scripture where he lines up history and technology and innovation with his message of, uh, of, mm-hmm. of who he is and the gospel. And so for me, but then he has things like Tower of Babel where we're like, mm-hmm. brick, man, we're going to build this huge tower that reaches to the heaven. <laughs> He's like, that was not the intention it's I 5G. had with brick. <laughs> yeah, that's 5G. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so we have to be very careful still and, and be discerning and understand uh, how technology is changing us um, and, and be critical about it and probably... Um, do things that are more uncomfortable when you create boundaries. Yes, do all of that. And when it's in that p- proper place, it's got enormous potential mm-hmm. to to do things like, yeah, lots of great stories. Mm-hmm. I could tell you of how technology mm-hmm. is helping save lives, advancing the gospel, seeing, uh, it, you know, s- helping ministries reach people all around the world with the gospel, like great, crazy stuff going on. And I think, I mean, you, you identified them with different words, but I'm thinking we can... We can either ignore these changes and mm. just carry on as though they don't exist. Right. We can um, be afraid of them, mm. or we can be intentional about how we integrate them. Is that I, I get yeah, those are the three? Use reject, receive, redeem, but similar concept. And that's kind of that yeah. same idea. So I want to wrap up by one, asking you to explain one of the things that I just find the most energizing about what Faith Tech does. And we didn't talk about this in advance, so there you go. But one of the things I found most energizing, because I love collaboration, Mm. I love ideation, and I love problem solving. Mm. And so you explained to me how, like, this is a weekly thing in Faith Tech Mm. Cities. Is that right? What do you do? Yeah, so every month, the uh, community, it's still weekly, so I'll explain it. So every month, the larger community, those in and around tech, a passion about tech, people in ministry just want to learn about tech. They gather monthly, eat a meal, listen to a talk. So it could like, I just did a talk on the biblical theology of technology. It's like beginning to end. What does the Bible say about technology? And so different people will give talks and then people break into teams to either think more deeply or build technology together. And then we'll bring in charities and ministries to say, give us your biggest problem. 
we'll put three to five people that literally just solve problems mm-hmm. for a living mm-hmm. and think of new innovative ways to solve them. And then they'll build something uh, that serves either that ministry and or usually that product can serve many, many more people. And so it's a monthly gathering, but then they actually meet in homes and in coffee shops throughout the rest of the month on a weekly basis to keep building and keep creating. And so, yeah, we're we're like always looking for charities that want to innovate, like truly want to innovate, have mm-hmm. a stakeholder in their organization that would be like, hey, we can put that person mm-hmm. with your team and have a big problem. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, that's the equation mm-hmm. for our team. They're like, give us I a big problem. Yeah. Uh, we'll walk through, you know, all the things we learn around how tech solves problems, which the tech world solves problems totally different than most other industries. And it's a helpful perspective. I love I it. I so want to be there. I just haven't been able to be there yet. And I <laughs> and it is just down the road from yeah, us. Yeah. So I it, it energizes me. I love what you are doing. Um, I am thankful that you're helping Tech people find a place that is not just doing the PowerPoint right. at their church because that is so sad, actually. Right. <laughs> uh, still need PowerPoint people. We still people. need PowerPoint people, but right. you don't need... Because you tell the story about the guy that in, invented or was on the team that invented BlackBerry Messenger right. here in Kitchener. Um, the job that his church had for him was running the PowerPoint. And I think right. my brain goes, can you imagine what he could have invented right, to right. connect people at that church and uh-huh. serve them? Anyhow, I am just so excited that you've been here. And... If people want to get involved, like if there's a tech person that wants to get involved in faith tech, how do they do that? Well, I would say yes, tech person, but really anyone that's passionate about what we're talking about right now, um, we also think deeply. Like we are about to launch, soft launch of something called the Faith Tech Institute, where we're inviting writers to come mm. in. And if you're, if like, if you're thinking more deeply on anything that I just mentioned or beyond that's related to faith and technology, like we're creating a, a bit of a way for them to get that word out through video or article. And um, so it's for that. But then, yeah, for those that are builders, creators that are in, in the tech world, um, yeah, just reach out like faithtech.com and reach out to us and we'll find you someone to to connect with and serve with and use your unique talent, you know, to advance mm-hmm. the gospel, which um, there's, there's no shortage of problems, like mm-hmm. always in all of history. Yes. But as it pertains to technology too, as it accelerates, um, there's an enormous opportunity right now to advance the gospel through a new innovation that we can do. If there's a ministry person listening that is like, I've got a big problem, I'm ready to jump in, what do they do? Yeah, well, just reach out to us. So go on faithtech.com, fill out a contact form, just be like, I just heard this talk, yeah, you know, awesome. let me, and, and we'll walk you through getting you connected with somebody. No doubt. So good. Yeah. So good. I am so glad that we got to have this conversation. Thanks, so just so you know, now you have total permission because it's recorded Yeah. that if you have a problem, you right. can call me. There you go. You don't, you can text me, but you can also call and say, Ellen, That's right. <laughs> this yeah, is yeah. an area that I don't know how to do anything yeah, with. Right. Cool. What did you do? So yeah, that is you. an open invitation. Thank so. you. Awesome. Thanks for being here. We will have as much information as we can in our show notes so that people can um, can follow along with this and follow along with you and your journey and find you online and 
all those things. Yeah, and thanks for doing this. Thanks for taking a risk and doing something you guys haven't done before and testing it out and you're setting a good example. So Small well bets, done. right? Yeah, you got it. <laughs> and using the young people on our team to tell me what to do. It's awesome. I love it. That's right. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here. See you, Alan. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Changemakers podcast brought to you by Graf Martin Communications, your marketing team for good. Graf Martin Communications is Canada's leading PR and marketing agency serving faith-based organizations from coast to coast. Visit grafmartin.com to learn more.